Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 222, A Redemption Story. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside Steve and Ash and Anne. How you doing, boys? Doing great. We played complimentary football and I didn't have a heart attack. Another victory Monday, baby. Getting used to these. Of course, we are going to be breaking down the Week 5 matchup against the Panthers. But before we do that, just want to talk to you about our Discord channel. It was a fantastic place to be yesterday with lots of good chat and celebration pretty much all the way through. But it's a great place to be all the way through the week. If you've not joined us already, come and join us. If you don't use Discord and you never have before, it's a really cool little app and there's not much to it. It's just, it's like Reddit, but better, I guess. That's how I'd put it anyway. So Come and join us for some good football and other chat. And you could talk to us all week. So why, why would you not do that? Uh, college football podcast. And I know that you're in the very early stages of prepping up for that, but it was a big week in college football this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. There were loads of big results, loads of upsets, loads of big ranked teams going down. It was, it was, it was quite something. I'm trying to figure out which games to talk about and which ones not to, because there were probably less boring ones. So, um, and we're also doing our half-season mock drafts this week. I know no one's thinking about the draft at the minute for the first time in forever, which is absolutely wonderful. But it's a tradition of mine and Ryan's to do the half-season mock draft. We are already basically halfway through the college football season. So we'll be doing those as well this week. So there'll be a lot to tune in for. So uh, please do. We'll be here on Wednesday. Surely we should be talking about who the Bears are going to ruin with their number one and th- number two picks. That will uh, form. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I said, like I said on Twitter, that team needs more than one number one pick to catch us up. It doesn't matter who they pick. They're still not going to be as good as us. Chin strays early doors from Stephen Collins. I love it. I'm here for it. And just to confirm, that's not going to be live, but it will be on YouTube after the fact, but it will be on the podcast feed. Correct? Mm-hmm. No, it will be live this week because I, we'll I, 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 I can't be asked doing the video editing. It's too long. So I'll just do the live. It's easier. All right. Fair enough. There we go. Cool. Uh, please don't forget to like the show, sub to the podcast and rate and review and all that good stuff. And don't forget to add Lions Nation Unite on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lions Nation Unite. Herman Moore's projects bring the best in Lions content creators together. We're on Twitch, we're on YouTube, we're monetized on both. There's a tip jar down below on YouTube as well. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, any appreciation is much appreciated. I hate saying that. I need to find a better way of saying that because I say it automatically and it sounds shit. Anyway, and we also have launched our merch store as well, which I'm going to put in the live chat. I know that we want to sell it, so obviously we're going to talk it up. But if I do say so myself... The quality is surprisingly good, and that's probably as 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 um, high on it as I can get. The, the quality is actually really nice. So if you want to rep, or if you just want some new clothes, go check it out. Shipping rates from the US are actually surprisingly good as well. I think that there are some local manufacturers that we can use for that, so it shouldn't be too bad. 
Anyway, let's get on with the news and some sad news to start off with. The cornerback Emmanuel Mosley has torn his right ACL, having torn his left ACL at the end of or in midway through last season. He comes back, he tears the other one now after only two snaps. He's done for the season. Boys, we we paid him below a market rate to come because of the injury, but we always knew that this was a potential risk that he might not come back right, that his performance might just not be good coming back from that sort of injury, or that he might re-aggravate it. And I mean, he's not re-aggravated it, but Ash, you were talking about the fact that, you know, doing one means you're more likely to do the other and it's come true. And it's a shame for him and for everyone. And it leaves us looking for at least some depth at cornerback now. Yeah, 100%. Like, I was reading about as soon as it happened, people saying on Twitter, it happens as like a compensation. You think where because you've tore your left, uh, you wave your right and that puts more pressure on it and need more load and it can happen. And obviously, unfortunately, it happened to him two, uh, two snaps into his debut, which is sad because he was brought in, as you say, below market, right? He could have, if he was healthy, he would have been up there with Cam Sutton as probably one of the top free agent cornerbacks. Before, uh, last uh, with his time in San Francisco, he was one of the best ball hawking corners. So uh, next gen stats have ball hawking. It's basically percentage of snaps where the corner makes a play and the ball beat a PBU forced incompletion or an inception. He was up there with like twelve percent, which is like insane. That's like Jerry Jacobs past couple of weeks level performance. So we were lucky to get him in football. Unfortunately, luck hasn't rode our way with that and. He's due for another long, long lengthy recovery. The good news is at least, well, and the slight bit of positivity with it is that he's been through it before, so he knows what it takes. And we know he's got that physical and mental fortitude to come back. But now it's just a matter of how well can he come back? Can he come back 100% and ball out for a team? Or is it one of those where he might just unfortunately fade into obscurity? Yeah, I think the, the key for us is it's just that depth piece because we really needed some, um, you know, some options in our secondary. And obviously uh, with CJ, he was going to provide the the depth, um, you know, in, in terms of leading the line, but being at help from last year and taking a bit of the pressure off Kirby um, and same with Mosley. Um, so, yeah, Sutton has done really well. And if Mosley had have come in and, and um, been able to get fit and play well, that would have been such a bonus. So I guess it probably um, leaves us looking for maybe a trade candidate um, before the deadline in in the secondary. It's certainly going to be an area of um, you know where we're kind of weak, and it's probably too late for a, you know a kind of free agent um, rookie to come in. We can't. It feels like we need some experience. I don't know what you guys think. And a little bit of buyer's remorse, and maybe we're in the market now. I mean, you know, first and foremost, it's just devastating for the player. I mean, you think the yeah. mental anguish he's going to have to go through now. You know, you've spent a whole year rehabbing. You've been in a lot of pain. You've put yourself through an awful lot to get back onto the field. And then two snaps in, and you're down again. And it must be like one of the biggest proverbial kick in the nuts that you can get, like, ever to do that and now you've got to to do it all again and for him I can only just say it's absolutely devastating I mean to any player it doesn't matter if it's on our team or someone else's team injuries are just devastating like this and it, you know he's going to be in a very dark place at the moment and I just hope that the team rally around him 
for the people around him rally around him as well. And it's it, it's just, it, yeah, it's just really bad all around. So I, I do genuinely hope that he's able to overcome this and hopefully 2024 is the start of his own redemption talks. It'll be a couple of years, but we know he's good enough on his day and hopefully hopefully he'll be able to get back. As As for us, this team, I mean, I wouldn't push the panic button just yet. We've not had him. We've played well. I know we've. I know CJ's out as well, but we, we've sort of dealt without him so far, and we'll continue to do so without him. You know, the guys in there, the depth guys, are really pulling their weight at the minute. They're playing well. You know, Branch. Hopefully, he's all right. You know, sort of long term. So, I'm. I'm not busting the bank just yet to go out and get somebody. If this. If this fair value to be had on the market, then always you've got to explore that. And if it's there to be had then go for it because trade deadline is now on the horizon. Teams are going to start getting nervy. They're going to start selling guys off. So I don't really care if it's right now because maybe in a week two, someone's going to panic and we're going to get better deal for somebody. So no, I, I, I trust the guys at the minute. I trust Jerry. I trust all these guys. Hell even will look decent. So, you know, just, just stand pat and wait for the market to come to you with this. Don't panic. Talking about the market coming to you, if you have a look at what the price is for one-year rentals for just out of Defensive Player of the Year honours, you had someone like um, Stefan Gilmore available for a third-round pick for a one-year rental a couple of years ago, and he was only one year out of that Defensive Player of the Year. So that's the sort of value for a rental that you can get around the trade deadline. So if something like that happens, perfect. And we don't have to spend... And I know people are talking all the time about Patrick Sertain. I've just said in the chat, do you want to pay for him? Because it, I think it will be two ones. I can't see someone that early in his career with that good a resume on his rookie contracts going for less than two ones. What's the basis for the chat about Sertain? Where is that coming from? Denver uh, shit. There was Denver uh, shit. And they, when they traded, uh, what's his name? Randy Gregory there was reports coming out from insiders that that's not the last trade they're going to be doing. They're basically shopping a load of their pieces and they're gearing up for a massive rebuild. So obviously with our need in the secondary, everyone's kind of jumping on Patrick Sertan as like the big guy that they could trade. Because they remember they traded away Bradley Chubb for uh, a, a, one. a one to Miami a year after trading away Von Miller to the Rams for a second. So it's not like they're not not used to trading away their big pieces in times of need. So it could happen. But yeah, as Matt says, it probably will be like two ones at least because he is already like one of the best corners in the league. You've got to be careful. You've got to be really careful because we have a lot of contracts coming up. And to give away that much draft capital and to splurge on a high-price elite contract is, is, is quite an undertaking given the amount of guys we've got coming up to pay at the minute. And the reason why we're in such a good situation in the minute is because we've drafted well and we've put ourselves in a fiscally stable situation where don't have to pay everybody at once. You know, Cam is here for three years, uh, you know, doesn't have to be, but you've kind of got your main guy there. Just you've got to be careful, you know, just stay pat. You've built a lot of areas of this team young. You've got to do it with your corner group as well. Don't go out there and, overspend on that area, I think it's you just can't. There's a lot of good yeah. corners coming up in the draft. Be patient. The depth but guys the draft... are doing well. We've not had Mosley. We've lost what we've not had. So Yeah, but and the, the the draft's not till 
May and like this is we are in a window here and like if we're six and one at, at you know coming up to the trade deadline and like what happens if like Sutton goes down what happens if Jerry goes down like we can't afford to be like six and one and miss the trade deadline get an injury in like week nine or ten and then just have like no secondary for like potentially a you know a playoff run but at the same time we can't oversaturate our areas just in case some areas you don't you know we have a lot of versatile guys who we can play in and if we're six and one then obviously we're not really missing mosley that much and you know we, you're running a risk sometimes with these areas we've got a lot of corners on here you know we've got even guys like dorsey to come back still got gilmore in there as well who's not seen the field these guys are playing well so you know you've, you've got to be careful because yeah this is a year for us, and it's an opportunity, but at the same time, you've got to maximise your window, and by just throwing it all in this year and maybe winning one playoff game, you're possibly risking the long-term implications of it. So, you know, two firsts and a big-ass contract is too much. You can go out there and get something almost a stopgap, or you can get someone serviceable to see you through this season to the draft where you can get reinforcements for your young guys going forward. It's it's a big risk because Sir Tank could break his Sir Tank could break his leg week one. I mean, yeah, that, that, that could just happen. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should go for Satan or try and trade for Jalen Ramsey or whatever. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't need to be like a marquee name, but I'm just saying, like, it feels like you know, Gilmore and Dorsey haven't really seen any snaps, and would you want to put them into like a a clutch playoff situation, like you know? it feels like we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we weren't prepared for like winning the division this, this season. And like I said, that once that trade deadlines hits, then that that's, we've got no chance of adding to the squad. And if Sutton or Jacobs went down, what does our cornerback, you know, um, one, two and three look like on the field? I mean, you're at three weeks away at the minute. So again, in this situation with us, you've got to just wait, Hold Pat, wait for the market to come to you. You can have this conversation in a few weeks when the trade deadline's approaching and teams are panicking. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it doesn't... I'm not saying we, we do need reinforcement. We could do with someone coming in before the deadline to bolster up, but Sertan's just too rich uh, I mean, for what we need. There, but there will be guys out there, and I know... It's in the it's on it's in our LNU chat on Twitter as well that there's been several calls made about four guys now. So they are doing the they are doing their due diligence. Someone will you'll get value with somebody somewhere. If so if if Sertan is the champagne option, what's like the the supermarket Prosecco option? So I've got two free agents. I don't know if Ash, you're just about to say I'm... their names. Not free agents. I've got two guys we could trade for that are on expiring deals this year. Shoot. Go for uh, it. Ken, Kendall Fuller and Adore Jackson. Veteran options. Not too bad, not too good. And yeah, so both are free agents at the end of this year. So, And the two best free agent options at cornerback at the moment are Casey Hayward and Bryce Callahan. We've supposedly made calls to the Bears and the Browns as well. So make of that what you will. I don't think uh, we want a Bears cornerback, do we? Let me have a look. Jalen Johnson, possibly. Oh, maybe. Mm, no thanks. Hard pass. Ty- oh, Tyreeky Stevenson, yes. Give me one of my guys. 
Anyway, let's move it on from our first news piece and talk more about injuries. Jonah Jackson is in a boot after the game. Dan Campbell said that he's tender right now and they're monitoring the situation. Doesn't seem to be too serious, but might give him some jip going in to Tampa Bay, unfortunately. Brian Branch is back at practice, but he isn't moving as well as the team would like. Dan also revealed that Khalil Dorsey and Josh Pascal are close to returning from injured reserve. Dorsey could be this week. Pascal could be next week, but both are eligible to return as of today. And just talking about Chanda Savala, uh, who obviously was carted off the field yesterday on a backboard for the Panthers with a neck injury. He was taken to hospital. If you didn't hear it during the coverage, it was confirmed he was released from hospital to fly back with the team. So fingers crossed he is perfectly fine. Um, I don't think there's anything more to talk about on that. So we'll just move swiftly on and talk about the game itself. And obviously the Lions ran out 42 to 24 winners just to run you across the stats. Bryce Young, 25 of 41 for 247, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Jared Goff, 20 of 28, 236 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Rushing the ball, the Panthers went for 99 yards and 23 carries, including nine carries for 35 yards from Tuba Hubbard. Detroit, meanwhile, got 159 yards on 30 attempts, which includes two kneel downs. Remove that, 161 yards on 28 carries, which includes the Goff sneak. That was led by David Montgomery's 109 yards and a touchdown off 19 carries, but ably backed up by Craig Reynolds, 52 yards on seven carries and a touchdown for him too. Receiving-wise, Carolina had Adam Thielen leading the way with 11 on 13 for 107 and a touchdown returning uh, wide receiver DJ Chark also got three of six for 40, uh, 42 and a touchdown. Detroit were led by Josh Reynolds, four of five for 76 yards and a touchdown, but Sam Laporta had himself a day, three of four for 47 yards and two tuddies. Miles Sanders did fumble the ball and Will Harris was the one to recover that. Well done by Liam McNeil punching that one out. Uh, on defense, Von Bell led Carolina in tackles with nine. They had two sacks and an additional tackle for a loss. CJ Henderson and Brian Burns with those sacks. Detroit only got one sack, and that was by Aiden Hutchinson. They were led in tackles by Alex Anzalone with 11. Hutchinson also got himself a tackle for a loss and an interception, as well as Jerry Jacobs getting his pick too. And Riley Patterson was a perfect six for six on field goals. Eddie Pinheiro went one for one on field goals and three of three on extra points. Those are your stats. And boys, it was a demolishing, really. I mean, in the blink of an eye, the Lions were 14 to nothing up. They scored 14 in the second and fourth quarters as well. Uh, They didn't score in the third quarter, but they were on the one yard line as it expired. So it wasn't like they weren't moving the ball in that quarter. At no point did this game look like it was ever getting away from them. Steve... Uh, I know that last week we were saying the Green Bay game was one of the most complete games we'd seen in a long, long time, but this backed it up to the hill. Yeah, this was definitely a better performance, um, although probably against the worst team. Um, And I think it was the start was super positive, you know, getting 14 points on on the board so quickly. Um, And frankly, we never looked never, ever looked like the Panthers were going to come back. Even when our offence went off the boil for the first sort of 10, 12 minutes of the third quarter, we were kind of just relentless. 
um, loads of individual performances um, on offense, you know, real competent stuff. O-line great again. And then on defense, like I said, complimentary football, people making plays, people making tackles, very few mistakes. Um, yeah, there was stuff to clean up, but, you know, there was nothing disastrous. Um, so it felt like a re- really good all-round performance. And like I said, my my heart rate was pretty consistent. I, You know, I didn't have any moments like I have in some of the other games where I've just been like, I, I can see this is turning, momentum's going against us. It always kind of felt like we had our foot on their throat. And... Do you agree in terms of it being one of the most complete performances we've seen since he's been a fan? I think it's up there for me. I think I think last week we saw the most complete performance. I think this week we saw the most complete ass-kicking that we've ever handed out in terms of we've just absolutely smacked them around on both sides of the ball. And this is exactly what it needed to be. It, you know, They're not a good side but we've struggled with bad teams in the past because you give them an opportunity to get into the game and you you play down to their level almost and then they'll they'll beat you in some of some form of slugfest. We just went straight out there, kicked them in the nads and when they tried to get up, we just kept kicking them and they couldn't get up. We just played hit after hit after hit. They didn't have a chance to get up to bite our kneecaps because we didn't give them the opportunity to on both sides of the ball you stop the first drive yeah you give up a couple of big plays on in the air but the run game again amazing just exactly what you want it to be you force them to punt and then you know you just come out one two three punch that that's it no playing around with them no starting soft it's just soon as you start throw throw run wow you're up then you start putting pressure on the quarterback. When they try and get back, he makes a mistake. And then what do you do? You punish that mistake right away. You just, you know, push them into the ground, ground them into dirt. That's what they did. And they did not let up. They were relentless. And I agree with Steve. It's like the most stress-free afternoon, evening of, of Lions football I've really ever watched in my life because at no point did you ever feel like they were a threat to us. And that's rare. And that's sort of the... The new step of this team, you know, you've got to beat the good teams and show that you can do that. But you've also got to put away the bad ones who are not on your level. Um, and they quite clearly at the minute are not on our level. Um, so loved it all. Loved the attitude of the team. Loved the performances from hell. Just about everybody. I think I can't even think of someone who was really bad on the day. So. Yeah, it was just great, and it's domination, and now we've got clear daylight in the NFC North, and you've just got to keep going on from here, keep racking them up, and what can you say? Winning is infectious, and it shows on the field. It just makes you play that little bit harder, makes you play that little bit longer, and and you know possibilities are endless with it. So I loved it start to finish. My favourite stat of the entire game is one that I've just discovered. After the first quarter, because the Lions scored two touchdowns in their first eight offensive plays, the Panthers held the ball for 12 of the 15 minutes. The Lions won time of possession in the game, 31-15 to 28-45, which means in the remaining three quarters, the Lions held the ball for 29 minutes out of 45. That's staggeringly good football. Like... The three minutes we had were so efficient. And then the following three quarters, we blew them away. Love it. 
Love it. Let's talk about the game as we go through. We're then going to talk about the game themes, cigars and subpars before talking about Sunday's other games and looking ahead to the Vegas victory on Monday night. I'm not supposed to say that. I I, I definitely don't know what's going can, to happen tonight. Can I just say, just very quickly, um, I'd forgotten, completely forgotten, what an annoying twat Adam Thielen is. Like, <laughs> what an absolute crybaby. Uh, you know, since he like, left the Vikings, he kind of like off my radar. But this game really reminded me um, just of a wide receiver who, you know, middling talent, yet thinks he's a superstar and just cries every time there's any kind of physical contact. He's looking for the refs. He, he would be an excellent um, Premier League footballer because he's always, wait, you know, got the imaginary yellow card in his hand. What an absolute plank yeah it reminds you of a of a soccer player playing football that's the way i, I can put it really i guess i mean you put that in my head but there we go it's, it's a good analogy right here we go then so first drive of the game good start initially from the panthers they progress down the field uh dan campbell challenges a third down conversion to chark and to be fair to him it looked like a really low pass that probably went incomplete on the live action. You then see one replay and realize Chark made a really good catch by extending his arms below. Should never have been challenged. Second straight game with a bad challenge. Don't like that. Uh, then I think it was the next play or the play after that. Will Harris hit Bryce Young in bounds. Very reminiscent of last week where Alex Anzalone hit Jordan Love just in bounds. Something about this team loves hitting quarterbacks just as they're going out. And I'm, I'm absolutely here for it. Uh, and then the Panthers kind of stall out around the 40-yard line. We decline a delay of game penalty, but then after a false start, they go back five anyway, which was just a really funny, weird wrinkle. We can decline the false start. So I don't know why we declined the delay of game and not the false start. Not going to hang on. Uh, not going to hang around too much for that. Uh, so they punt, end up not getting very much net yardage out of it either. Detroit's first possession, the very first play, Deep in route to Khalifa 24. Second play, I form play action pass to Marvin Jones on a deep in route for 20 yards. Third play, David Montgomery, 42-yard touchdown. Bounced off his own man behind the line. Doesn't get touched by anyone. Fantastic play. Three plays for 86 yards and a touchdown. Could not get more efficient than that. PAT is good in a 7 to nothing Detroit. Panthers on their second possession, we're putting Young under all sort of pressure. He gets out of a third and eight with a nice pass to Thielen for first down. Second and seven on that second set of uh, of downs and a play action pass running back screen. And the running back tries to chip Aiden, who fails epically. Young doesn't see that it's failed. And the catch from Aiden is out of this world with one hand before taking a really worrying hit to, like, the thigh? Like, thigh sort of area oh, yeah. with the helmet. It was really, really horrid. And he looked banged up for, like, half the remainder of the game and was still an absolute superstar on the field. So fair play to him. We got the ball back on the 15-yard line. A few players from Monty on the ground. Third and goal from the five. Play action pass to Sam Laporta for a touchdown and flat. Very reminiscent, actually, of the Thielen touchdown at the very, very end of the game. PAT is good. 14 to nothing Detroit, eight plays for the Lions, 14 points on the board. Boys, apart from the Dan Campbell challenge, 
couldn't have been a better start. I'll come to Ant first. What what did he make of the beginning? Because from then on, it was comfortable. Yeah, it it just felt like this team because a lot of these guys were here last year. They remember what happened last year, and it it seemed like they were determined to overcome. You know, I think they've been sitting on this result for a very long time because that was the one that killed the hopes off last year. That was the big learning curve, as you will. And I think they've been waiting for it. And you kind of saw that in the way that they came out. They were they were very aggressive. Like you say, the hits were hard. You know, the tackling was, str- you know, it was technically sound. It was strong. The run game, they just suffocated it. They, they didn't let anything happen. And apart from a couple of passes downfield, you know, that's all they really gave up. And, you know, the defense made the stops when it had to. Young was under so much pressure early on and then and then the offense was just it was completely efficient in the way that it went about its business and I love again sort of the aggressive nature of how they started just you know don't don't start just by trying to run it up the gut whatever just get straight into the passing game target that middle of the field with the guys who you know Raymond Jones guys like that who can exploit that space who can get in there and then and then deploy Monty couple of big passes you've got their defense reeling you know, get him on the edge. It's great. Again, the receivers blocked so well. Obviously, J-Mo was in there getting his hands dirty. They all were. And you set the tone. This is what Dan says. You set the tone. You set the tone on defense. You set the tone on offense. After one series each, you're up. And then immediately, you're right back at them. You know, Young then makes that mistake because he's under pressure and he doesn't see it coming. And you you get that turnover, and then what you got to do? You got to capitalize on it, and and you do. You go you go straight down eight plays, milk some time off the clock, you convert, and then it's just all about momentum from there on. The momentum is just with you, and the Panthers were just they just couldn't come back from it. They looked like they've been sucker punched, and they just didn't know what to do. And it kind of felt like how we felt last year. They got on top of us really early. They asserted themselves really early, and we were not able to get back in that game. And and this time we reversed the script. We paid it back in kind. It just felt like they waited for this, but just both sides of the ball were excellent. Like I say, just the aggression on the defense and then the execution on the offense, just exactly what it needed to be. Your two scores up. You take their run game away, even though it's doing nothing. You're putting it all onto a rookie quarterback who's under a ton of pressure. That's the absolute worst spot that team could be in. And, and we forced them into it. And the crowd was just amazing as well in in just how they got behind the team. You know, they feed off one another. I love the start of this game. It was wonderful. Steve, to coin a Dan Campbell phrase, we dragged them into the deep end. That's our domain. Yeah, I mean, and said it all. The first, you know, those first three um, three possessions or two, two offensive um, series for us and the Hutch interception, it was like a chainsaw going to a doll's house. It it was just brutal. And the Panthers just looked absolutely shell-shocked. Um, and great to see Marvin Jones getting a catch. Great to see Hutch getting another pick um, and just demonstrating what a skilled player he is. Um, and from a, you know, a Ben Johnson masterclass. So, uh, you know, awesome. Ash, Anything to add? Just well, we obviously we highlighted the catches the wide receivers made in the first drive. The run blocking on the uh, Montgomery touchdown as well is really good. Like you can see that they're really working and they're doing as 
Ben Johnson says, and we I did quote it a couple of times, it's particularly to do with JMO, but with Ben, it's you don't block, you don't get the rock. And you showed that they're, they're willing to block. That's why Marvin's still around for his run blocking, even though he didn't create that well in it in PFF, according to PFF. But the wide receivers, they're not there just to catch the ball. They're also willing to do the hard work of blocking for the running backs. They're willing to do the teamwork for like to add up to the whole. And it's great to see. And it's the same on the defense. Like we'll come, we'll come on to later. But some of the uh, sort of uh, teamwork they do on there as well to shut down the run game. Then the linebackers suddenly go back and cover Fearlan or Tommy Tremble or Ian Thomas coming across and across a. It was just a just hit, we hit the ground running, and the Panthers didn't know what had hit them until like the third quarter. Moving on to the Panthers' third possession, a lovely third and four completion to Thielen. Uh, it was a really weird play. They went five wide, and there was zone coverage, but you had Derek Barnes lined up with Adam Thielen, which is just a bad idea. Um, complete mismatch, and it showed. Uh, Jack Campbell then had an illegal contact penalty, which bailed the Panthers out of a second and 11 on the Detroit side of the field. Dalton had a sneak on third and one. There was a lovely fake toss with a wide receiver handoff to Chenault in the red zone, which went for 11. And then Will Harris got a PBU in the end zone, which was super impressive. Just broke in front of the receiver and got an arm to it first. But on third and one, a third and goal from the one, a lovely RPO to Tommy Tremble for a touchdown. It was Jack Campbell versus Tommy Tremble. And while physically they may match up pretty well, asking Jack Campbell to read run pass on the goal line is pretty harsh for a rookie and he had no chance. 14-7, to Carolina after the PAT was good. Detroit then start their third possession. They progressed down the field slowly and methodically. JMO had his odd drop, unfortunately. Goff took advantage of a really good free play when they caught the Panthers offside. We had third and fourth for the Panthers, 37. Really high throw to Sam Laporta, kind of came off his fingertips. Maybe in a perfect world, he comes down for it, but never mind. They go for it on fourth and four, and a really bad decision to go for a swing pass out to David Montgomery. Troy Hill basically hit Montgomery before he even had the ball near him. It was it was actually closer to defensive pass interference behind the line of scrimmage than it in fact, it was it was a lateral, wasn't it? So it would have been pass interference if he got there first. But it was closer to that than conversion. So, you know. So we turn it over on downs. Very first play, you have Miles Sanders run. And Ali McNeil forces it out with a punch. I mean, it's an incredible play by a player who had a fantastic day. And Will Harris got the recovery. Lions basically pick up where they left off with their fourth possession. Goff play action pass for running back screen for nine. Swing pass to JMO for a loss of one with Marvin Jones missing the block probably would have gone for a touchdown if he gets the block right there, unfortunately. David Montgomery then gets two on third and three, but on fourth and one, go for it. Toss Montgomery gets it. Another running back screen to Montgomery gets the first down on thirds. Really nice blocking for that one. Raymond with a wide receiver screen gets down to the half-yard line. A pitch to Demo loses a couple, but then a play-action pass to Reynolds at the back of the end zone. Lovely throw by Jared Goff and the toe tap at the back. Right, No one else is catching that ball and... You know, there was a sort of, was it, wasn't it? Very clearly got in. Just beautiful execution. 21-7 Detroit after the PAT is good. And then the Panthers just implode. Jacobs' very next play with an interception. Lovely disguise on it too. It looks like cover two zone. And Jacobs is waiting for that throw in between the outside corner and the safety. He breaks on it before the ball's even thrown. 
plucks out the sky and then looks to return it. The way he comes in field and just weighs up his options rather than just absolutely pelting it down the field shows some sort of, um, you know, measuredness and level-headedness that you don't really associate necessarily with Jerry Jacobs. And that that was really impressive by him. Uh, and so the Lions then get the ball back on offense and it took one play to mo- put more points on the field, uh, on the boards. Double reverse to Sam Laporta for a throw for wide open touchdown for 31 yards. It was a pitch to the uh, running back in David Montgomery. He handed it off to Khalif Raymond, who pitched it back to Goff. And Sam Laporta had about seven or eight yards of separation. Walks in for the touchdown. PAT is good. And the Lions lead by 21. It's 28 to 7. And the game has barely started. Ash, I'm going to come back in reverse order. We, you know, had a, a good drive. It stalled out. We get the fumble. We convert on fourth down and then a lovely pass to Reynolds, the interception, and then another pass. In in a space of three plays, we had touchdown, interception, touchdown. It was incredible. It was. I remember our reactions at the time and when I go back later and have to do the clips, that's going to be a fun time to do to sort of work out when to end the clips and when the next one's going to start. But just what a statement from Ben Johnson with the play calling, especially with that, uh, as you say, that like one play drive to score the touchdown. It's almost as he saw like right on the other side of the field and thought, when I rejected you, you hired that guy. Really? So he dug deep into his bag of tricks when they were at that worst, pulls out the ra- a random play and he's just almost standing there flipping the birds to the Panthers on the other side saying, see, this is why you should have pushed harder for me. You should have tried harder to convince me because now you're stuck with that bag of shit on the other side. It was beautiful to watch. Steve, uh, incredible series of events. I mean, the start seemed really good, but that series of, of plays was Atlas World. Yeah, just a, a Ben Johnson masterclass, and it felt so smooth. Goff just looked very, very much in control. You know, he, he got a little bit of pressure, um, but, you know, all the way through, he 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 just looked calm. Uh, his, you know, he, his ball um, security was good. Um, he didn't make any silly throws. Um, and it just all looked very smooth. Like I said, invention, um, you know, just hard running from Demo, um, who, again, has just proved in this game what a pickup he was. Um, you know, one one small cloud, Jameson Williams had a really bad drop. However, like, that's all that needs to be said about it because the same old people in the Detroit football community, and I'm not even going to say their names because they do not deserve the oxygen of publicity, are immediately on Twitter. What does this drop mean for the future of Jameson Williams at Detroit? Nothing. It was just one drop. He just needs to practice. He's rusty. He just needs to practice and practice harder. It was a bad drop, but we don't need to talk about it anymore. Move on. And an incredible series of events. Yeah, and it was just kind of us maintaining our momentum on this game. And, you know, what's been great about this team this season is just how it complements one another and how the two units are working in sync. Obviously, we, the fourth and four, we didn't convert. I'm, I'm fine with these kind of decisions. Dan Campbell's aggressiveness is causing so much problems for other teams' coaches, but you don't get that. But then that's fine. You know, doesn't always work. Defense comes out, forces the fumble, you know, gets the ball back. And it's like, right. That's just complimentary football. Offense just, you know, 
fumbles the ball a little bit, defense comes out, gets you another shot. And and that's what good teams do. Just when one side drops the ball, the other side comes in and does what it needs to. And then you give them the ball a second time. You're, you're not going to get a second chance. You know, they it was, again, another good drive. I think we had another fourth down that we went for. Again, no mind in that whatsoever. Love the aggressiveness there. Love the throw to Reynolds in the back of the end zone when we got the touchdown. It was... Um, it was just so good. And Goff's slinging it like an absolute pro at the minute. I know those in the Windy City after Thursday were like, oh, my God, Justin Fields, he's back. Yada, yada. It's like, sure. Jared, Jared Goff is just as good. He's better. He's playing some really good ball at the minute. Um, and then, yeah, you come out again. And, and because you've put two scores up again, you, you're putting the team under pressure. They've got to throw it. They've got to throw the ball because they need to get back in the game because they're in a hole. What does that do? It creates opportunities for your DBs to go up and make plays. And like I say, Jerry goes up. It's a great interception. You know, it's great for him three in two weeks. And it it just goes to show, you know, that, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent. And we've seen with Jerry that the class is there with him. He's had one little bad spell in three years. He is back to bin him. You can see that fire there, Uh, you know, and I just... There would be no one else on this team I'd want that little run of form to have happened to than him. But yeah, you get the ball back and then straight away, in you go. I love the play call in there. Again, you're just catching the Panthers. They're they're at twos and fros at this point and they just can't handle it. And, you know, that play is getting ripped off later in the day because of how good it is. So, you know, it's... It's just this aggression of this team. It's the mantra of Dan Campbell. It's just do not let your opposition breathe. And this was just a great game of every time they tried to get like after that touchdown, the first one, you're thinking, ooh, hang on, what's what's going on here? Is this no? Two minutes later, you're like, I don't even care that they scored a touchdown. It's just not happening. So it's a great sequence of events, but it's because both sides of the ball are complementing one another. And you know, I say when one fumbles, the other picks it up. That's what good teams do. And and then you saw that in that sequence there. Defense give up a touchdown. Offense gets a touchdown. Offense fails on a fourth down. Defense goes and gets a turnover. You know, you don't want anything more than that. We've been begging for that for years and we've got it now. There's something about the Bears talking about golf after that field's performance. And I don't know how aware of the attitude era of wrestling you guys are and the rock in particular, but oh, shut up, bitch, just kind of comes into my head like, I would, come on, guys. You are talking about PFF's number one ranked course back this season. You are talking about a man who took team to a Super Bowl in 2018, and this, by PFF, is significantly a better season than that one. The, the only thing I was disappointed about in this game is he didn't get the fourth touchdown throw because then I was just going to tweet out, you know, we need to hold a civic parade for him now or something, because according to Bears fans, that's what you do when your quarterback has a four pass down passing touchdown game. You it's a big deal. It's like, no, it's not. He's just shit. Do you think they <laughs> have an open little... bus parade an open bus tour parade for a win? Just one win. No, for I a four touch, for a four for a four touchdown performance from Fields. It's oh. like, you know, give give the man a Nobel Peace Prize. It is that rare that something like that happens, apparently. So Do you think they'd erect a statue of him if he had a four thousand yard season? <laughs> I mean, it might be the last time it ever happens in the franchise's history, so you kind of have to record that. that. That that'd be like Chicago history. So it would be. Let's crack on with the rest of this game. It's almost done and dusted, but it's fun to relive the rest of it. Uh Panthers sixth possession just before the half. 
Lovely deep throw to Adam Thielen on a skinny post route for 30 or so yards. Young then, under pressure, steps up in the pocket to throw a risky backwards pass to LaVisca Chenault, in, like the weirdest play of the game. Um, thankfully, for their sake, Chenault caught it in advance of the ball because that could have been a really bad fumble, if not. Amazing PBU by Alex Anzalone to save a touchdown in the end zone. There was holding on Jerry on the play, which kind of negated what happened there. But if he catches it for a touchdown, obviously they're declining the penalty, so it still needed to be made. Young then, under massive pressure on a third down, didn't get it done. 33-yard field goal is good. 28-10 Detroit, they kneel it out as the half. Detroit then start the second half with their sixth possession. Lovely third uh, down conversion on a slant to Sam Porter. Fourth and one on the Carolina 36. We go for it and draw Carolina offside. They're just losing their minds at this point. Third and six, play action pass sack by Brian Burns, who beat Decker with a really lovely move, kind of a mix of ball rush and a little bit of a rip as well to, for good measure. That put us outside of field goal range, so we have to then punt. Carolina, they start off with holding. Hutch sacks Young on third and 12, who beat a chip and then had a lovely spin move to come off their right tackle to get to a scrambling Young. Forces a punt. Lions go three and out after calling a wide receiver screen on third and 10 to JMO. And to be fair to him, if he beats the first guy, which he almost did, he's getting picking up the first down. So it wasn't as bad a play call as it looked, I think, live, but it, it looked weird live. And then on the eighth possession, Maybe the the most contentious moment of the game with the young intentional grounding call. So uh, young under pressure going backwards. Feet are clearly at the one, but cocked the ball clearly at the negative half yard line. Intentional grounding called should have been a safety. My guy Romeo Aquara calling it, but. Unfortunately, the refs are on their side and we miss out on the two points. That causes the second 25. They can't recover from that and end up punting. I'll stop there with the remaining possessions to go. This was a bit of a bag of nothing, lads, to kind of go through the third quarter. And yet there was still some really good defense on display by both teams. Burns had a sack. Hutch had a sack. Aquara almost forced that safety. It was a safety and it wasn't given, really. So... Good play by both teams and a bit more of an even stretch. Let's let's go back in reverse order again. So, Ant, what did you make of that stretch? Yeah, it kind of just sort of slowed the momentum down a little bit in this one. But again, when you're so far in front, you kind of almost don't mind that, you know, sort of the game just ebbs and flows a little bit. But the team was still performing very hard. The Panthers, to their credit, did try and fight. I actually really liked um, LaVisca and what he did during that. I think he's a hella underrated player who's been on some teams where he's just, he's done a lot of work, but he's never the star name that anyone talks about. But I thought he played really well for the Panthers. And I thought Young did all right in the circumstance, given how much pressure he's under on a road trip. I thought he did really well in the circumstance, outside of a few boneheaded mistakes. But he's a rookie and he's going to make them. I was saying earlier, he's, he's going to have a period of time there while that team's building around him where it's going to look like he's bad, but his talent will win through eventually but you know as as for us I was just very happy the defense just didn't give anything away they made them work incredibly hard you know we didn't get the the sacks and the fancy stats on the day but you don't need to when, when you're all working in sync you know you don't need all that stuff it was great seeing the secondary perform so well you know because Young wasn't able to get the passes off he was having to hold on to the ball for a long time it was creating pressures for the edge guys everything just looks like it's working in sync really well so 
Yeah, it was it was a bit of a quiet time, but I, I honestly don't mind it. I know people are sort of belly aching about us in the third a little bit and not picking up momentum, but I don't think that was a thing today. He'll go through these periods in games, but overall, I just thought we held them off at arms. This is the part where you're just kind of holding them at arm's length. They're trying to swing punches at you. They're not big enough to reach, and things are really comfy. Steve, we did seem to slow the the tempo down in this stretch, and yeah, but for you know, uh, Goff kind of eating the sack by Burns because of a pretty good play by him, and. You know, we end up on the one-yard line at the end of the third, which I haven't really talked about yet, but really good plays by defence from both teams. We yeah, should have scored. I think, I think it says something about the um, kind of game management. You know, we're, we're just chewing clock here. Um, and, you know, it's amazing that, like, two or three minutes into the third quarter, it kind of felt like garbage time to me. Like, the, you know, the, the game started to have, you know, the crowd was still absolutely into it, and the crowd were absolutely giving them you know, making it murderous for, um, you know, the Panthers to get plays off when they're on offense. Um, but just in terms of like the tempo of the game and the play call, and it, it kind of felt as, you know, you said, we're just keeping them at arm's length. They can't land a glove on us. And we're just trying to, you know, preserve energy. We're still making some good plays, but it, it was a, a real nothing quarter. Ash, it was intentional grounding, right? And it was in the end zone. I'm not, I'm not mad. You're not mad. We had this discussion because obviously we did have the slight discussion about it on the thing because I said, oh, yeah, his feet are clearly at the half-yard line. It's not, but then obviously you correct me with the gruel. It should have been intentional grounding, but alas, this is not, it's not as bad as last week where it was really obvious that the that, that refs were sort of giving the other team a chance to get back in, but they were, might have been, but we still stood there. And Caroline, despite us sort of going into early prevents, not full prevent defense, but a lot of soft zone in that third quarter, sort of giving him underneath stuff, which is why Chenault had such success. Though I do, I agree with Ant. Chenault has been very underrated as that sort of Debo Samuel kind of player who can play wide receiver, but also running back. It's quite, I think it's also quite, uh, so him being able to get to work, good to see, even though we in prevents. It's quite telling, though, that he took most of those carries after Sanders fumbled. So is this big free agent signing that was supposed to be seen as better than David Montgomery by some in the offseason? That hasn't really worked out for Carolina, has it? But yeah, third quarter's the third quarter. It happens. At least if we still didn't lose the quarter, we it was nil-nil. It's fine. We we take that, we move on, and then we spank on 14 nil in the final quarter. Who cares? It's, Sanders isn't fit to lace Demo's boots. Agreed. He's not fit, fit to lace Chuba Hubbard's boots, and he's on the same bloody team. That's the disappointment. The disappointment, if you're a Carolina fan, is Chuba Hubbard went 10 yards a carry against us last year. They got rid of their running back one. He was the natural successor, and they brought in someone worse to be their running back one, and they haven't realised it yet. I'd be just so annoyed if I was a Panthers fan, but anyway... Moving on, last possession of the third quarter. I know we've talked about the end of it already, but never mind. Goff play action pass to Reynolds. Nice route. Really good stiff arm by him, too. Showing really good feet and mobility that you don't really see from him. Next play, though, Zonovan Knight hit hard in both shoulders by two different players, and he went out of the game for the remainder of it after that. Looks like he might have a dislocated shoulder or something. I don't think it was mentioned in the... um, 
in the presser for Dan Campbell just now. So we await news on whether he's going to be okay. I would doubt it, but we'll see. Goff play action pass into a corner blitz by CJ Henderson. It was a naked bootleg to the right and he just walks into it and he doesn't see it. We're really lucky that it didn't end up in a sack. Second and 18 after that, end up getting 12 yards after that play to go for third and six. And then a fantastic play, direct snap underneath Goff's legs to David Montgomery. So a kind of pseudo wildcat, but unsighted for the defense for Monty to have a 10 yard gain on third and six. It was a ballsy play with lots of risk because it could have hit Goff's legs. And yet it ended up getting the first down near, you know, in the red zone at this point. So it was incredible play. I think um, the most the most beautiful yeah. thing about it, I mean, you know, Goff deserves a, a, an Oscar for the way he sold it. But as the ball is about to go through his legs, he kind of turns and looks over his shoulder and goes to almost call an audible. So he really caught them off guard. It was it was he sold it so well. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say yeah, it was. So the whole point was it was the play was designed. The ball was supposed to be snapped as he told JMO come here as if Jamo's lined up wrong and he's trying to correct him. That's the signal to Ragnar to go for his legs. And God, as you say, the acting, but also the trust has in Ragnar because we saw earlier than uh, the day before what happens if a ball goes anywhere near someone's legs. If it bounces wrong, that could be quite painful as it was for that Oklahoma videographer, if you've seen the, the clip mm. of what happened to him on a throwaway. Middle stump, I think the, the cricketing yeah. term is. Correct. <laughs> Middle stumps, a lovely, uh, a lovely thing. That was the last play of the third quarter. First play of the fourth quarter. Goff sneak for a touchdown. Uh, PAT is good, thirty-five to ten. Carolina come out for the ninth series. Nice play by Jonathan Mingo, beating Sutton with quick feet for fifteen or so. Straight back to Mingo with an RPO pass to him for a first down away to the Detroit thirty-three. Roughing the passer on McNeil seemed really harsh, but. Whatever touchdown chuck for 18 yards on a on a post route just beat Sutton again, who you know had a rough series in that one against Mingo and then Chark 35 17 after the PAT, and then the Lions just kill the game. Beautiful work by Craig Reynolds, who enters just for this series, and he goes, What was it? It was seven for 52 and a touchdown in this drive. So just Running the ball, running the ball, intermixed with a floated pass to Josh Reynolds, which is a thing of beauty by Jared Goff to the Carolina 48. 17-yard game by Craig Reynolds on a pitch. Two cuts on a busted play meant to go right, him going left, and he got another 13 yards or so, 19 yards, and then he burrows through the middle for a touchdown. PAT is good, killed most of the remaining clock. Panthers then come out for their final drive of the game. And to their credit, they're just like, we know we've lost, but we're just going to do what we can to get another score on the board. And they did that. Young with a great throw to Ian Thomas for 30 or so yards. Slant to Thielen for 12. Roughing the pass on Alexander Loney, I think was probably legit, but just unfortunate. Fourth and goal from the two. Throwing the fat to, Thiel- uh, to Thielen, kind of like the Sam Laporte touchdown earlier that I mentioned. PA2 is good. Ford Hughes to 24. Onside kick recovered. One rush. They don't stop the clock. Neil Downs after that. End the game. It was a clinic. And we've all talked about that already. I don't think there's anything in particular in that last stretch that we need to address particularly. So I'm going to go past that and straight into game themes. But before we do, 
if you guys have not uh, liked or subscribed or any of that sort of good stuff while you're listening to us on YouTube and Twitch, then anything you can do on that front for us, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, very much appreciated. And a thank you to Joshua Mercer 7 for subscribing at Tier 1 for his third month, saying, love the commentary by you guys do it during the games, by you guys during the games. Myself and Ant do play-by-play commentary as a sort of alternative broadcast. It's a load of fun. What? What's up? Ant. And Ash, sorry, Ash, beg your pardon. Sorry, Ash. You both have three letter shortened names starting with A. I'm sorry, my bad. <laughs> um, you didn't need Ryan. Yes, true, my bad. Hey, that's a compliment, I take it. Anyway, moving on to game themes. And the first one I have here is, is Trench's Domination. I mean... You don't have to look at the PFF grades to know that the Lions absolutely dominated on both sides of the ball. I mean, the, the Brian Burns sack was a misnomer, really, in the game where the Panthers didn't really give Goff too many problems. And on the other side of the ball, Young was running all over the place, boys. I just feel happy, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stealing Steve's thunder here, for Craig to finally get his first proper NFL touchdown. I know he's got a couple in the postseason, but after, like, year, in this is year three, he's, current, he's finally got his first regular season touchdown and then Monty shut like wave number no waving him back in at the in the goal line to say no you take it great like teamwork like honestly from him like oh yeah you go take it I don't want to applaud it I had them last week and then running across the field to go celebrate with him as soon as he breaks the plane just shows what and maybe why it's not just the stuff that Monty does on the field that's good but also the stuff off the field just shows a bit more why we signed him. Yeah, and it's not like Reynolds came in and, you know, had like a two-yard touchdown run, um, you know, and and didn't do anything else. He had seven carries, uh, 52 yards, average 7.4. Um, and he looked like, you know, he was cutting well. He, he absolutely slapped someone down with a stiff arm. Like, he just looked like a really, really useful RB too. So great moment for um, Reynolds. Shout out as well to like Glasgow. I think Glasgow had a, a much better game, um, and the whole of the the O line looked solid all the way through. Um, and yeah, defensively, um, you know, Aleem, Benito, Bugs, they were you know they were causing problems. And then you know Hutch and Charles Harris doing their thing. It was just a, a complete performance. And Trench's domination, it makes all the difference. And you've been preaching this from the beginning. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're now seeing the interior where it's come together and that has rippling effects outside to the edges. The the units all work as one. And I think you're sort of seeing the influence of, of their new coach there now as well. You know, the work John Scott's doing for them there. You know, it's it's reminiscent of the work you do at Penn State. You are highly aggressive in the interior against the run. You just completely shut that off. And then you give your edges opportunities to go and make plays. And then you start to break through in the interior. You overwhelm. And and that's what they're doing. So now both, you know, because for years, we've just not had the interior to be able to, to plug the run. So it just makes the job hard for the edges. When they're doing their job in the middle, the guys on the edge can go and do what they're best at, which is go wreck shit up. So, you know, it's it's great. And then on the offensive side of the line, we, we know what they do in the trenches. We know how great they are. You know, it's it's great to see all the depth show up 
especially on both sides. You know, there's niggling injuries on the offensive line. You know, Glasgow's settled in now. He looks great. He looks back to himself. And then on the defensive side, Bugs has obviously come back after his benching. He looks great. He's playing the best football of his career. Um, Benito is contributing in there. They're all... And Aleem's playing the best football of his career. So it's just guys stepping up. And, and it's a process. You know, O-lines and D-lines don't form... In a year, it takes years for these guys to start reaching their full potential. And because, especially the D-line's been very young, it's taken time. But you're seeing that pay off now. So, yeah, we, we did to them what they did to us last year. They absolutely obliterated us last year. And we learned every lesson that we needed to. And we turned that back round on them and gave them a dose of their own medicine. And they all have hated that just as much as we hated that performance last year. But the trench is just on both sides of the ball now. That's that's how you build a great team. And we've invested a lot of draft capital into it. And you are now seeing the fruits of that labour. We've mentioned complementary football the way through. So I'm going to skip through that. But the Lions defence really shows up. I mean, we come into this game with several injuries and we get one, two defensive plays into the game as well. So no Mosley and he's now done. No Branch, no Amonra, no Jameer. And they're replaced by guys who are making plays out there. Or you're having a look at, say, you know, Jack Campbell comes in. So maybe Anzalone in a couple of years might be on the outside looking in. And he's really stepped up this season too. You know, Will Harris had a really good game. It was an absolute show. Jerry is continuing to make his recovery from bad starts of the season. Transition to an absolutely fantastic year. No, this isn't... This doesn't feel like the Amani Orowari a seven interception season or whatever that was. This feels far more legit, boys. You're seeing your young core develop. That that's what it is. It's your young guys who are now in year two and year three are now, you know, savvy to the ways of the league. They're at a stage of their development now where you're noticing. And and we keep saying this defense the last few years has been for the most part really young. Uh, or it's had bad vets in there who have sort of just been almost just trying to raise the age a little bit. But now your young core that you have spent so long investing in is is starting to become the centrepiece of it. You're not going after these really expensive, high-priced free agents who are doing nothing. These are guys who you've trained, who you've developed, who are the centrepiece of what you're doing, no more so than the likes down the spine of that team, Aleem and Derek and Kirby you know, sort of the spine three players of that team, all three levels, you have, have developed guys who are now becoming a big part of what you're about. Derek developing has been huge for this team because it means that you don't have to rush Jack in. I know Malik's not seeing the field much at the minute, but he's still there when you need him to be. You know, on the interior, Aleem developing is You just see what him in year three is helping on that defensive line there. And then you say in the secondary, you have the likes of Kirby and Jerry who are just going to give everything for you because they're completely and fully invested in this team and have been developed by us. So, you know, it's, it's just a long process. I don't, I don't think anything's really shifted. It's just the terms of you've got to wait sometimes for these guys to start reaching the peak. And that's what we're seeing now simultaneously. So many of these young guys are starting to reach their collective peak together and they are they have the right vets in there with the, this time. Anzalone, Kamish, Sutton, all these guys who have just raised the bar a little bit and just brought in that little bit of veteran savvy that you need to go with all these young studs. And 
That just was what it looks like to me now. And they're working together in unison. So now the D-line's getting pressure. The secondary's getting chances to eat because the secondary's so good in coverage. You know, the, the defensive line is getting chances to go and make plays. They are all complementing one another. And the linebackers just bring so much different stuff to the table as well. It's, yeah, you, you're seeing the culmination of a three-year-long project here. Steve, uh, it, it, exactly as Andrew says, you know, the, the depth really stepping up and the youngsters really progressing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much to add. I mean, it it was just a good, solid, all-round performance. Um, and I'm not going to say, like, no stars, because, you know, obviously, like, Hutch is a star. You know, if Amon was on the field, he's an absolute star. And Demo is a star today. But, you know, it... It, there was a lot of players who contributed and not the big names, you know, and that's what's really nice to see when, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, we're not seeing, I, I don't have to sit here and, and single out players who've like let us down or who've like cost us, like for every player that made a mistake, they they didn't hide, they immediately stepped up and they made a play back. And that's what we want to see with this team. Ash, anything to add? Not really, no. Completely agree with what the other guys have said. So let's keep it going. <laughs> Pop quiz for you. You mentioned Aline McNeil. So I just thought I'd have a look at PFF. What position in the NFL is Aline McNeil in run defence between defensive interior linemen this season? Is he about oh, six? PF, PFF had it. I know there was a thing up saying between weeks three and five, he's number one. But I don't know what his first two weeks are. But Number two, he's pretty high. Okay, in read run defense only, he's the second best player in the interior of the defensive line this year, second to Dexter Lawrence, significantly ahead of Quinn Williams, Maurice Hurst, Daquan Jones. I mean, some of the bigger names are nowhere near. Josh Pascal makes an appearance at number sixteen. He's listed somehow as an interior guy on here, but hey, in total defense, he's seventh. Yeah, and, and again, that was, the, that was the league table I saw, and and I think Aaron Donald was like third or fourth as a Cowboys guy at the top. But yeah, that's I mean that's solid, staggering. His his he's eighty seven point three graded this season versus sixty nine point eight and sixty point one his career. But again, it helps when you you know you these positions take time to develop. Uh, people come in and think, oh, he's going to be amazing. We want it's very difficult to play at the defensive tackle position and to, you know, to make a big impact on your team. You know, everyone's going on about, oh my God, Jordan Davis is amazing at Moviadio. Look at the talent he's got around him, like there. He's, he's one of the most dominant lines in the league where everybody needs to be doubled. And it's like, Aleem's not had that, not in his first two years. And now that you're putting talent there and he's actually able to have an opportunity, you can be as good as you want, unless you're Aaron Donald level. But if you're just in there on an island on your own, it's very difficult to to establish yourself. But now he's got a fair playing field. You're just seeing how good a player that he is now. And it just it just takes time to develop. Again, with Barnes, him and Barnes. You just sometimes these guys take two or three years and you just have to grin and bear it. But we are gaining the benefit of that now. Someone mentioned that Isaiah Bugs had also done really well with the qualifier of 20% of the most snaps in the league. Isaiah Bugs is 19th in DT rating as well. 
which is incredible for someone who didn't play week one. And I know that was opposition focused rather than about bugs, really. But that's still an incredible return for someone that we picked up off the scrap heap. It's fantastic. Um, last thing I have before handing out the cigars is offensive innovation and invention and the trick plays. I mean, there's the touchdown to Sam Laporta. There's all of the screen passes that have guys out in front that just work. And if it wasn't for the Marvin Jones miss with the JMO one, I mean, it seems like on third down and long, third and six, third and seven, third and ten, that a screen pass is a legitimate option for us because we regularly make those conversions. And then you've got the wildcat through the legs um, one to to David Montgomery and all this sort of stuff. It, it, it uh, The only fear I have is that we're going to run out of the bag of tricks and we'll by the time we get to the playoffs, we might have shown everything we've got there. And then part of me thinks I'm just underestimating our guy. Yeah, but when the when the bag of tricks is that vast, it's you might know they're coming, but you don't know when and where they're coming. I think it was great, sort of, you know, the trick play in that role, good. But I think the most impressive thing was just, and I mentioned this right at the very beginning, is was the execution. The execution of everything was immaculate from the run game. You know, we missed so few blocks. You know, people were blocking perfectly. That that Monty first touchdown run was just indicative of how they did all day long. And then that opens up the playbook to do things like that. When you're running the ball well, when you're blocking well, you know, you can do whatever you want and you can catch these guys out. And we don't need to resort to it all the time. We're not like the 49ers who use, and the Dolphins who use motion every single play that we just, sprinkle in the right amount of finesse with the right amount of hard work and you just can't stop that you might know it's coming you might know we have it in the bag but when's it coming you ain't got a clue but the execution was the great thing here everybody executed nigh on perfectly the tight ends blocking the wide receivers blocking catching was good for the most part there were a couple but just offensive execution was perfect we know the trick, the bag of tricks is running low. When I finally get that player I've been calling for for the past three years, that, I think that's going to be the indicator. Kind of like how the Fleetwick indicator was the indicator that the Panthers were done. When I finally get my Liam McNeil fullback dive on the goal line, that's where we know Ben Johnson's run out of ideas because he's finally done it. He's finally bent to my the pressure I've been putting on him psychically for the past three years. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be good. Right, time to hand out the cigars, people. And there's a lot of people to choose from. I'm going to come straight back to Steve to highlight some of his favourite players from the game. These are words that I'm, I'm not sure I ever thought I would say. Yes, do it! With Will Harris, come and yeah! get your cigar. Um, nine total tackles, seven solo, um, a pass breakup, um, a QB hit and a fumble recovery and just flying about the field looking pretty damn good. And I don't think there was a single silly penalty. Will Harris, a cigar is winging its way to you with my humblest apologies, whatever. <laughs> we love you really. And I mean, you know, this is what we want. This is what we want from players who are on the fringe, who are not getting regular snaps when they get their chance, they step up. Love it. And oh, my cigar goes to Monty. I just 
love everything about David Montgomery and what he brings to this. We know how good he is. We've had we've been on the receiving end of him for years, but now that he's on a capable team finally, I think he's showing just how good he can be. And it's not all the flashy stuff, it's just that nitty-gritty work he does in the trenches, all the tackles that he fought, you know, the missed tackles that he forces. But every time you need some heavy yardage or you need a critical block or you need a big play, he's the guy you go there to. And we, we've kind of seen life without him a little bit. And and I don't like that life when he's not on the field. He's he's everything that makes this offense go. And people worry, are we going to replace the guys from last year and all the touchdowns and that? We've, we've replaced them and more. Touchdowns every game. He stands up when we need him to, and he just he just keeps the chains moving. And it just can't be said how valuable that is. And I've 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 fallen in love with him very 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 quickly. And he was big in this, especially early on. So, Monty, you get a cigar, go smoke it, and then come back ready to kick ass next week. Ash, last gal. I, I honestly think even if Vita is fully healthy and he could come back next week, we're sure he can. I'm keeping Glasgow in there. Like 91 point, uh, is he at 91.1 PFF grade? That's elite. This dude is coming, okay? He's coming for injury and he's made the job his own. Like if he carries on, as much as I love how, with certain news that's come out during the podcast about a certain New York team and their right guard, it might sound stupid, but because how's on an expiring contract and you the team always wants to do best for the players. We've seen it with Jeff. We've seen it with Swift. Glasgow could be our starting right guard from here on out if he carries on playing like this and how might be going somewhere else with our best wishes, of course, but Glasgow's coming. Okay, that first week we had to come in when Vito got injured, he wasn't that good. But since then, he has been really damn good at that right guard spot. The way that backup off quality offensive linemen are in such short supply, the trade uh, compensation, even on expiring deal, would have to be extortionate for me to consider. I mean, we're talking a second and change for me to let go of Vitae. There's no way in hell I'm doing that. Unfortunately, the team I'm mentioning does not have their second because they're sending it to another team in the division. Of course they are, bloody Jets. Why would they trade anyone for anything? They're not winning anything this year. Anyway. Well, they think they can. And obviously, um, it's come out that Lodge of took has unfortunately tore his ACL. So it's their second big offensive line injury of the season. Anyone who's trading anything because they think they're in a win-now position with Zach Wilson in the centre, just wildly mistaken. Anyway, cigar for me, I have avoided... I've tried to avoid taking the low-hanging fruit every single week. I cannot keep avoiding Jared Goff. He is out of his mind. Like, he's he. people were like, oh, I don't mind re-signing him. Hopefully it'll be a team-friendly deal, yada, yada, yada. If he keeps going like this, he's gunning for, like, top-end money, like, 55 million plus is what we're looking at to resign someone playing this well within this offense. So go for it because if he does, and we're in that position where we have to pay him, it's because we're in the Super Bowl. Yep. And he's well, he's making a believer out of people. It's well, incredible. As you've seen, it's very difficult 
I think, to find a quarterback who truly buys into you and what you're about. You see a lot of these talented rookies come out and they flame out in a few years. And to find someone who syncs with the city as well as he does, he's taken on its identity and he's made his next level. And yeah, I Christ, when he came here, I put myself amongst the ranks of the he's a bridge guy. And, and he was, but he's not no more. And why? Because he has, he's shown everything to this team. He's given everything to this team from a position of complete hopelessness where you 99 out of 100 of the quarterbacks in that situation would have flamed out. They'd be playing in the CFL by now. Um, he hasn't. And there's something about him. I'm, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready to give him the money and to let him lead this team forward because, you know, it would be very easy to regress going for something shiny in the draft or trying to give it hooker. And then you're not going to reach what you are now. You know, as, pe- as much as people say, he needs Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson needs him to be able to run this offense and, you know, utilize all these playmakers the way he does. It's 50-50 partnership. Um, and even if Ben's not here next year, Jared is Detroit now. And he's on course to have more success here than Stafford ever did. And that just, you know, should show you the level he's at now. We can't have no feelings about staff from the past. Goff is going to lead us to postseason success, so... Yeah, I'm ready to give it him. I'm ready to give him the bag. And, I, mean, and I think we've got to we've got to start remembering that we're not the QB of the future. Probably isn't going to come from the draft because we're not going to be drafted in the top twenty. Um, so it's highly unlikely that there's going to be someone who's you know that we can take. You know, maybe if we're drafting at twenty five or you know up to thirty, who's going to be there for us to take that's going to be better than what we've got? No, AJ one. Jefferson. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was gonna make that joke. Uh, that's, anyway. that's that's not a joke though. That's that's truth. <laughs> I mean he's um, not a Heisman candidate unlike someone else. Anyway. You you, 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 you were Washington fan. I didn't realise that. <laughs> Touche. Just, I was gonna say, oh, we ain't got weighing in on the goth thing, proof that he's taking on the city. His answer yesterday to the uh, one of the reports asking him, you ran the ball 30 times and you uh, and you passed the ball 30 times. What are you, a passing team or running team? He just turns around and says, a good team. That shows he's got, he's still got a bit of that Caleb Boy swag to him, that confidence, but it's the right kind. It's a gritty kind. And come on, I'm just waiting for the PFF uh, week five review so they can finally sign their apology form for Goff because he's their number one graded quarterback. So can they finally stop saying that lines are going to go nowhere with him when he's their highest graded fucking quarterback through five weeks? Higher than Lamar, higher than Josh Allen, higher than Mahomes. It's Jared Goff. Oh, oh it'll, it'll, it'll be system QB now. That that that's what the it'll go to system QB. Even though that's exactly what Brock Purdy is, but they love him for it. So, hey-ho. Just going to give a shout out to every Lions player with a 70 grade or more very quickly who we haven't yet mentioned, with cigars anyway. Josh Reynolds, Craig Reynolds, Penny Sewell, Frank Ragnow, Khalif Raymond on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, Aiden Hutchinson, Ali McNeil, Alex Anzalone, Isaiah Bugs, Jerry Jacobs. Well done to you. You were excellent yesterday. Right. Brief discussion of today's and uh, yesterday and today's games, everybody. So there was um, some interesting games this week, including Jacksonville beating Buffalo in London, 
the Saints blowing away the Patriots in their own house. Pittsburgh beating Baltimore. We're playing Baltimore in a couple of weeks. And they looked bad. Um, Atlanta doing Houston when they've been on a great run. Then you had Philly beating the Rams when it looked like that could be closer. And finally, thankfully, Casey doing the Vikings finally just and the 49ers blowing away their NFC rivals in Dallas. It was it was a great week of games. Yeah, can, can we just talk again about how Kirk Cousins has blown another safe opportunity? The the 45 million a year stud quarterback who's amazing, who can't lead a recovery drive to save his life and look terrible at it. Can we and to all the Vikings fans, all I've seen all day is you're bitching about the refs. Hmm. What did you all say to us when that was us at the bottom? Oh, play fucking better. Don't regard the refs. That's all we got. Play better. Don't whinge about the refs. Take a leaf out of your own book. You were your own worst enemy yesterday. Agreed. Like I remember what when me and you finished up, we were discussing like the Ravens Steelers game. And yeah, you convinced me then we shouldn't be scared of the Ravens. I know they've they've got some offensive weapons. Their defense is always going to be good, but if you let a Kenny Pickett-led Steelers team beat you, their offense is shocking, and somehow you let them win. How we we could go to the drops? I think they I think their receivers dropped ten catches. I mean, it was horrific. But they turned over the ball three or four times. Exactly. Yeah. Like, are the Steelers going to get an asterisk to their win? Like we had to get one for KC week one. So we just make that a thing just every week, every winner. Let's find a reason to ask asterisk the win. Just, uh, we'll just yeah, go exactly, through it. And yeah. every, nobody gets a legit win anymore. Uh, can I just say, you, you mentioned there about has not been scared of the Ravens anymore. I'm not scared of the Cowgirls anymore. I think they're the biggest frauds in the league now. And Dak, finally, Dak Prescott has been exposed as not been better than Jared Goff. Jared Goff is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. Everyone goes, oh, he's elite. He's unappreciated. No, he's not. He's bad. He's just, when the lights, he's like Kirk he's a glorified Kirk Cousins, maybe a slightly better Kirk Cousins, but when the lights come on, he shrinks and he can't deal with it. And I mean, how many picks was it he threw yesterday? Three or four? And it's like, you know, you want to have a statement when you go go out and beat the 49ers. We put up a better performance against the 49ers with a much worse team last year. And you've got all those weapons around you and you still can't do anything about it. I am not scared of the Cowboys anymore. I think we can go to AT&T and kick their ass, regardless of whether Micah Parsons plays well or not, because I've seen our defense is going to get so many turnovers in that game. The running backs can't keep hold of the ball and Dak can't throw it to his own players. And even if Parsons has a career day, we'll still put up enough points to win. Yes, yeah, so Baltimore gave up two fumbles and one interception for three turnovers. And the Vikings gave up a fumble and that was it actually for them in turnovers. But then Dallas gave up three interceptions and a fumble as well. So big teams with big turnovers. And it's consistently happening. So it's well, not great. Uh, uh, do we do we think that finally the Dark Lord himself, Belichick, is going to get fired? Because he's just had two, I think the two biggest losses in his career. And this is in a team 
where, you know, Robert Kraft had said he wanted them to make the playoffs this year and he expected improvement. I mean, they are nosediving into, you know, into Bears territory. I mean, they were just terrible. And the thing is, it's all coming through their drafts, which are awful. Like, the last few years have been some of the worst drafts of any team ever. And you're seeing that now. You know, traditionally, they've always, like, drafted their core, developed their core, and then just supplemented it with bit part guys from elsewhere. But now they're supplementing with bit part guys to no core, which just means they're awful. And, you know, they've thrown Matt Jones to the Wolves. So I don't think he'll get fired. He's got a job for life there. He will leave when he's good and well ready. But they could really do with having like a a director of, almost like a director of football that we get over here. Someone who makes the draft decisions for him and gives him the players to then work with. Because outside of that, it's just not, it just doesn't look like it's working for him. But I don't think he's on the hot seat. But can I, we agree? I, I, I don't okay. think he I don't think he makes it to next year. I just don't think they fire him this season. But can we agree? Yeah. We we'll it'd, it'd be mutual agreement or something. Exactly. He'll be given the sort of either you retire and go quietly or we will make a public fuss. Or he'll go to the back office. Yeah. Yeah, that's what me that's what me and Matt, uh, Matt theorized yesterday, like some sort of like as you said, director of football thing where Except for instead of Bill like, overseeing the scouts, and he's just there as a to help run the football operations, but he has no roster control and he actually isn't the coach. They give it to how dare I say it, Bill O'Brien, maybe? He's the only guy who think of it would be really yeah. funny. That would be hilarious. Um that'd probably be the only way Pat's fans would feel worse about this season if Bill O'Brien got the job. But so they give oh, it no, to well, no. Patricia give like, you know, they give it to McDaniels, and that kills two birds with one stone. They actually get the head coach succession that they actually wanted, and they give the Raiders a way to get out of that contract without paying him. That is true. I know who but goes to Raiders. If, if Robert Kraft has seen a single quarter of the Raiders this season, he's not giving he the job to McDaniels. That's an improvement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he probably doesn't care. He's got that much money. But can I just say, we, you know, we came into the season and everybody goes oh, the AFC is completely lopsided with great teams against the NFC. Well, I will go on record now as saying at least three of the top five teams in the NFL are from the NFC. You know, the, the 49ers are clearly yeah. better than everybody at this moment in time. They they are the standard bearers. I know Philly have been bad, well, by their standards, but they are still a damn good team. I still yeah. think they beat the likes of the Bills and the Chiefs. And then we're there as well. And I will quite happily put us in top five consideration now for us being up there. And then, you know, if Seattle win again, then they'd be just behind us. But everyone goes, oh, no, the AFC is this all-conquering, all-domineering team. And, like, teams like the Chargers, the Ravens and that have all fallen to bits. Actually, the NFC, if anything, is better than the AFC now. It's got better individual standout teams. And no one said that coming into this season. And, yeah, and yeah, while, while we're talking about the um, AFC, can I just say that once again, sat, um, you know, in, in London, a terrible game of football, like just a terrible game of football. It was awful. Um, and... Was it as bad as the last week, though? Jags-Falcons was atrocious as well. Oh, it was bad. It was really bad. And also, how embarrassing is it for NFL UK when they're trying to promote the Jags as, you know, this team that the Brits have all taken to their heart 
when the Bills Mafia absolutely, you know, like take over them, them yeah. and just yeah, just took over. And the Jags fans that were there looked a sorry bunch to me. Like stop send send some actual good teams over and then maybe you'll get a good game. We just get I mean what we got we got the Titans coming next week, is it? I mean it's like, oh no, we're having bad games, so let's send the Titans. So yeah, like that's gonna do any good. Titans, Titans actually are... showed up last week. They might they might put on a good game. I will say oh. that the Jags are staying for a week and then legitimately looking like a better team than the Bills just says to me that actually the jet lags plays a significant part in the games being bad over here. And if you want to play well, the teams need to come over Monday. Come over Monday, the day after your game on Sunday, and spend a week acclimatizing to it because the Bills looked tired from snap one, just absolutely out of it compared to the Jags who looked alert. Now, the Jags obviously had problems with Lawrence fumbling the ball in the red zone, but that was good defensive plays by the Bills. On offense, they were absolutely all at sea. So, yeah, jet lag plays a part, sort it out. It's pretty obvious what to do here. Bills Bills are a little fraudulent, though. But I'll, I'll leave that hanging. <laughs> Um, speak, speaking of though, can we just say, kind of say how fraudulent that Sean Payton's looking now? I, I'm thinking more and more as the years go by, Drew Brees carried Sean Payton rather than the other way round because he just looks, he's doing a worse job with the Broncos than Nathaniel Hackett did. And I just want to say how happy I actually, and I know he's a Packer and, you know, former Packer, but how delighted I was for Nathaniel Hackett to basically be able to put a middle finger up at him for that chucking him under the bus job he did when he got yeah. there. It's like, you're doing even worse, mate. I mean, you, you, your team just looks absolutely atrocious and you're going to get absolutely railroaded by the Chiefs on Thursday night football. No one's going to care about you for the rest of the year. But Peyton, I think he's a big-ass fraud. You know, I mean... I called. I called it. In the, was it our season prediction show? Where I said that Sean Payton's basically going to be, um, God, the guy who came out with uh, John Gruden two point time. I called it. The the, um, the footage of um, Robert Sala giving Hackett um, the game ball the game. and lock is really good. You can see that the players are all really playing for him. Yeah, I, I know we love Dan and everything, but I will never, I will never go against my assertion that Sala will be just as good one day. Oh yeah. Is is he still is? I'm very very fond of Robert Seller, and I do hope they do well in the long run. I want to leave you with one thought about what we were talking about with the Lions opponents before briefly touching on Monday Night Football to close. This is the Lions' remaining schedule: at Tampa, at Baltimore, versus Raiders, bye. At Chargers, versus Bears, versus Packers, at Saints, at Bears, versus Broncos at Vikings, at Cowboys versus Vikings. Is there any reason why the Lions should not be favoured in every single remaining game? 16 and 1. <laughs> 14 and 3, which I predicted pre-season, might be understating how good this team is. I mean, yeah. the, the law of averages of any, any given Sunday says 16 and 1 is unlikely. But if you're asking on an individual basis, like if every game was this Sunday individually, am I looking at it thinking that we're not the favourite? And I would go, no, we, we're absolutely probably the favourite in most of these games. Even the Cowboys now don't have a legitimate argument to stand on that they're better than us. 
So no, individually, game by game, we should be favoured in everyone going forward. The law of averages says there will be one along the way that you let go. Absolutely. But, the, but there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think, I mean, what was I at? 12 wins for the year. I am feeling 99% confident about that now. I think that's the floor. I think the floor is around 12 now for this team. Um, anything else, you know, you could be looking at something really special otherwise. I think we we should legitimately be thinking of the number three seed in the NFC. I think that's where... I, I go okay. two now. I think two's available. The way the Eagles and the Cowboys are playing. And just that they've got incredibly hard schedules. The Philly have, in a row, like Kansas City, Buffalo and Dallas. And like that's that's just tough to go back to back to back. Yeah. Uh, I actually wanted to have a look at our season predictions to see who did well. What? How much did we win by? We won by 18. 18, yeah. Myself, Tom and Steve all predicted 10-point wins to be closest. So that's not too bad. Right, Monday Night Football. Packers at Raiders. Two and two Packers against one and three Raiders. Packers 0 and 1 at home. Uh, sorry, 1 and 1 away. Raiders 0 and 1 at home. Raiders lost their last three, blown away by the uh, Bills, and then small losses against Pittsburgh and the Chargers. Packers have lost two of their last three against Atlanta, Detroit, and then a one-point win against the Saints. Both teams feel like bad teams, guys. I mean, if you've got a one-point win against the Saints, I know they blew away the Pats, but the Saints are trash. Atlanta, we showed up. We showed the Packers up. And this is a proper shit off on Monday Night Football, but my God, if mm. the Raiders can pick this one up, it's going to be fucking tasty. Yeah. See, this I is, think the Raiders can. I think they can. This is a rock no, and a hard no, place. Jones. This is a rock and a hard place uh, because I'm against Jacobs and Myers in fantasy. Um, so I absolutely want the Raiders to suck. Um, and I also don't I'm... want the Packers to win. So if if like they could get some tight, no, I, if they, I don't know. I don't want to wish injury on a player. I never would, but I, I don't want them. I've got like a 27-point cushion. So if y'all could have some poor-ass games where, you know, Aiden O'Connell throws for 400 yards to someone other than the Jacoby Myers or Jerry J- uh, to Josh Jacobs, I would love that because I'm against a, a, CJ Moore, a DJ Mora this week and I've done incredibly well to garner such a lead against DJ. I had Chase, but still... This is me being selfish. I want the Raiders to suck. No, I'm going to remind you of what you said to me on Discord week one when I was like, I kind of need the Bears to win against the Packers. Don't be selfish. Put the team's need in front of our own. In what what situation was that, though? Because does the Packers win affect us? Like, we're still going to kick the ass of this division. I mean, yeah, but you're putting... you're if putting I, fantasy in front of the needs of the Detroit Lions. You told well, me not to do that. Now well, I'm, that I'm case, it back on you. Well, in that case, then, I hope for a Raiders win, and I am taking one for the team here. There so we go. Thank you. That is my sacrifice here that the Packers suck on Monday Night Football. And, you know, <laughs> that, that is my contribution to this. So I'm two and two in my fantasy. So I, I can go two and three and still oh, win. Yeah. So, you know, I can I can still do it. 
Right, we're going to close out with that on the audio show. If you are live on YouTube and Twitch, please get your questions in now and we'll have a quick chat after the end of the show while we sign off here. Preview show for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game is going to be on Saturday this week. So don't forget, we're not on Thursday this week. We'll be on Saturday. Come and check us out then. Half past two Eastern, half past seven UK time. Ant and Ryan are going to be on the College Football Podcast reviewing week six and looking ahead to week seven. And it's one of the most exciting weeks in college football so far. So don't forget to check that out. There will also be the half-season mock draft too. I know it seems like a world away, but it's in Detroit. You want to stay up to date with the draft process. So you must check that out. Please don't forget to check out our socials on Rural Alliance UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you haven't seen Ant's tweet stream during games, you've missed out entirely. It's a really good laugh. Go and engage with him on there. The group for worldwide fans on Facebook is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide. Lots of really good stuff there from people all over the world, especially from the UK, going to watch games in Detroit and around the US. Lots of great engagement on there, so go and join that group too. The articles from myself and Ash and others, preview, review articles, rotluk.com. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on your podcast provider and any other appreciation would be... How have I said that again? How have I said that again? I'm not going to say appreciated. I won't. Please do that, though. We'll see you next week on the... Later on this week. It's Monday on the Royal Lions UK podcast. Thanks to Steve, to Ash, to Ant. We'll see you later on. Let's go Lions 1 Pride and 4 and 1. Raiders Nation, let's bring it. FTP. <laughs> yeah. Were you about to say let's ride then, Steve? That sounded like you've just got that in your head and you were about to... <laughs> Do I look like Tom Wilkinson? Mm-hmm.